0: I'm Todd Lyons.
1: I'm Natalie Crandall.
0: I'm Pierre Bedard.
2: And I'm Sarah Chen.
0: And this is the Innovate on Demand Podcast. To paraphrase Stefan Tomke writing in Harvard Business Review, to innovate successfully, organizations must make experimentation an integral part of a business. Why? Because it's the approach that's allowed startups to derail market leaders. But if it's so vital, Why aren't more organizations doing it? Culture, he says. It's not lack of tools and tech that hold organizations back, so much as mindset. Nurturing curiosity, empowering every employee to spearhead change, and embracing failure can seem like waste and risk. How are we faring in the federal public service? Welcome. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thanks for being with us today. So you guys are joining us today from the GC experimentation team. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to work on that kind of a team, that kind of an environment, and have a mandate to experiment in the federal government.
2: It's great. We've been around for just about three years, kind of in our current form and team structure. We are a very small team, but very diverse within that. So sitting here beside me is my colleague, Pierre Olivier, who brings deep expertise in experimental design in public admin contexts. I do not have a PhD in that, but kind of like 10 years in government, most of that in the policy innovation community, very passionate about kind of building community, new ways of working, how do we work better? How do we build evidence into what we do? And you know, whatever you're doing, there's always a need to just kind of like manage things well and let people know what's happening and hear what they're working on, make connections, share examples. So yeah, we really enjoy our work and are happy to talk about it.
3: Yeah. And I I feel like given that we're working on experimentation, there's some connection to other business lines of, you know, innovation and these other things. So I feel like the way we work also reflects that broader, uh, you know, engagement with these ideas. So it would be a bit strange or unusual to, you know, be advocates for experimentation and innovation to some extent and not embed that in our own ways of working. So I feel like we're trying to make sure that the ways of working reflect our own ideas and principles in a way.
2: We also recognize from the very beginning, so like this team literally started as FTEs. And even at the moment, at the very (laughs) moment, we're (laughs) 2.3 maybe FTEs. um, We are excited to grow to maybe about five FTEs in the coming year. But we've always been a small team. And so I think from the beginning, it was kind of clear to us, like, how do we promote experimentation? It's probably not going to look like us running all of the experiments, Also, it tends to be, of course, departments who have the opportunities to experiment on the programs that they deliver on the policies that they are developing that have the linkages to the programs, to the services to Canadians. And so I think one of the best things that we've been able to build is this initiative called Experimentation Works. And so the whole idea is that we Try and identify through currently a selection process that we're just finishing these promising areas of experimentation across the federal government, particularly with a view towards, you know, do you think you might have something that is kind of ripe for an experiment, but maybe you don't know how to fully implement that because that's kind of a a high call, you know, that's, it does require deep expertise. And so, or maybe you do have some of the expertise, but you could use some more. So this is what we are currently working on as part of other things we do. And it is a way that we're hoping that TBS can be that matchmaker, can identify experts that already exist within the federal government, especially in our science-based departments, get them to come on board. And so we've already got maybe well over 20 experts who have said, yeah, I'd love to help out another department or someone in my department in another team that wants to run an experiment but maybe lacks some of that expertise but they have such an interesting area and such good potential to measure something or test something or to implement two different versions and see what's you know what works better so
3: yeah because we saw that there was some appetite and some demand for support for these types of projects so departments were responsive to some extent to the previous election, the mandate letters that were highlighting, you know, evidence-based decision-making, the, the need to test new ideas and so on. And there was a, a direction to deputy heads following that or refining that understanding of experimentation. So a lot of departments, you know, got on board to some extent with those ideas, but lacked the capacity to some extent to implement these things. So that's where um, treasury boards um, started to play a role in this, to, to kind of guide departments not just by saying you know here's how you should experiment and go and do it but by building capacity and being there alongside departments to develop these things so it's been an interesting um, you know experience at least for in my, in my perspective as well because I was involved in this even before joining TBS and I started to work informally supporting TBS and other departments in running those types of experiments mm-hmm. so I could I could very see the the added value for me as an expert, learning what people are doing, and learning about how you can implement these types of complicated projects sometimes, and for them to benefit from from my advice and my guidance, and at a very low cost to at no cost at all, in fact. So.
2: Yeah, we essentially run experimentation works on no fixed budget. We we don't have a budget to run it. We've we've designed it in our heads as wouldn't it be great if we could find experts and you know, they might be interested in supporting projects across government, you know. Um, So that's been interesting. And I think everything we've done has been from the perspective like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of resources, and there's maybe not appetite right now to commit more than what they've given us. So what can we do with what we have? And how can we kind of keep signaling back (laughs) to others in in positions of decision-making to say, hey, look at the demand for this, you know. Look at what it actually takes to do some of this. It's not enough to say, thou shalt experiment. What do we mean by that? What kind of methods are we talking about? What kind of expertise do you need? What considerations need to be taken into account? Therefore, how would you practically do this? And so another kind of driver for EW experimentation works was that when we started in 2017, First, it's like, okay, well, so what experiments are happening in government, right? So you kind of go out, chat with departments, and so either you find not much, or maybe we don't yet have the networks to understand where they are happening, or, hey, we found some great ones, but... They didn't really have the extra resources to kind of document the journey along the way. You know, we only had the resources to actually run the trial. And here's our outcomes report from the perspective of here's what we tested and here's what we learned, but not so much the rich journey of what kind of approvals did you need and all of that, right? And so we were like, what if we were involved in experiments from the beginning, and we brought the resources to do the storytelling and some of the documentation Mm -hmm. and some of the lessons learned as a way to kind of broadcast that out to the system and say, this is what it looks like to do experiments. So that was also some of our motivation
3: and so we're very public about that we have a canada.ca page we also have a blog page with just public facing open to anyone and then participants from last year talked about their journey experts from last year talked about how they helped support the whole thing so very public um, again this this renewed cohort you want to be even more public by having uh, participants register their projects on a public facing page um, you know eventually report back on the results so for us the added value of this is for sure to generate robust evidence to inform decisions, but also to have this you know wider community where learning is common and there is exchange of information. people know about what's happening. Uh, I might start a project and learn that you know Department X has done one last year. so I might you know inspire myself by looking at their 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 project. So we want to foster this kind of learning and continue building this community of practice because that's what we are doing in a way, trying to maintain this um, active space of passionate people, highly skilled people that really want to pursue this agenda.
2: We also want to kind of be the face of, I don't know, I don't have like, you know, senior level approval to say it this way, but just in my own head every day I go into TBS. I'm like, I want to be the TBS that I wished I had when I was in a line department, you're like, well, come on, TBS, like, why don't you kind of roll up your sleeves and get involved? Or like, because, you know, and it's also can be the view of a citizen towards government, like, who are you in your ivory tower to kind of ponder and think of these things and you haven't actually experienced or gotten on the ground. So I think we can also have this inner dynamic in government where in TBS, we can set new, oh, here's the new policy direction, here's the new directive, here's the new blah, blah, blah. But Have we actually experienced what it is to to set those up and are we actually also trying to help departments? Are we just telling them what to do or can we also help them and can we also be open to, oh, really? Like, okay, so the way we wrote that is really confusing and, oh, you mean, you're right, we didn't think about that and, oh, yeah, this conflicts with another rule we made 10 years ago. So we're trying to bring that spirit to EW to say, how can we help you and If actually it's a case of you're encountering some resistance in your department because some part of your department doesn't want to be open about this, well, then we can also tell you that TBS is now saying to be open or to, you know, even if it didn't work to share that, because that's part of, you know, our new defaults to, you know, be open by default to share what didn't work as much as what did work. This is very interesting.
1: I'm really glad that a team like yours exists. And I, I've i been very interested by the experimentation works. Platform or the or the whole the program, I should say, um, because we have that conversation, that dialogue in government all the time about how you know we need to create an environment where it's safe to fail fast and all that. But the truth is, most public servants don't really understand what that means because it's not the culture and the mindset we've had or that we've been in for a very long time. So it's really nice to know that there are supporting groups and corporate enablers who can actually help make that happen in a different way. What would you say, uh, if you talked a little bit about uh, some of the uh, ways in which you guys work in a different way that are innovative uh, and different, what would be some examples of those and how do you think that's enabled you to do better work,
3: I guess? Mm. I can speak to it a little bit, but I would say Sarah is probably the the, the lead expert on <laughs> managing our own team. So we use things like Trello, uh, so it's kind of a... A tool that you know you can use to structure your work and split it into different cards and tasks, and have a list of you know how complete those tasks are, and so on. So we use that as a way to really make sure we write down everything we want to do, and we we have that in chunk of work um, that that spans over two weeks, and then we have regular meetings. It's very procedural. We have meetings to set our targets, meeting to check midway if we're doing okay, and then meeting at the end to see. If we reach our target or not, and then we include our our manager uh, in 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 those in some of those to again have a signal check. So we're really on top of you know our files and what the tasks are and where we are at any kind of moment in the process.
2: Yeah, it's like it's like we kind of go above and beyond anything that anyone else is asking us to do just because we want to be really logical about our work and really clear as well and and have that kind of full transparency I think you know Pierre Olivier and I had this moment one day earlier this month where we had just come out of a meeting or something about we learned some new information about projects that might be coming down the pipe for EW. we each went back to our desk and then we realized we each started updating the same information in the same document now. Thankfully, we work on real-time collaborative documents, so we actually noticed that it was happening and we laughed. Um, but, you know, oftentimes this happens, right? And, you know, we all know duplication, not really knowing what's happening. And so we just wanted to bring that out into the open. And also it's a way that we self-manage. So we have this kind of... High level of autonomy, which you know, shout out to our director Nick Chesterly and DG Kaylee Levesque for really supporting that. You know, they trust us, and um, you know, anytime they want to know anything, we can tell them or they can check out our board. Um, We even kind of make lists of everything that we want to talk about with them ahead of our check ins with them, just because we recognize their time is really limited, and anytime you know, these these tools are just a way to kind of work in the open. Mm-hmm. So if I have a thought, oh, I think we should talk to Kaylee about X, well, I just put it on the list so that if Peo goes into the cart, oh, he can see that I already put that thought there, you know. Um, it also gives us the freedom to work from wherever because we don't need to be sitting at our desks to know what each other are doing. We've already mapped it out. We've already decided. We've already agreed on it. And of course, it can be flexible to change. But I think that then leads into our strong commitment to work-life balance and alternative and flexible work arrangements. So we sometimes joke that you need to have one to three kids to work on our team, not because that's real, but because it just so happens that we have a very high percentage of young parents with young kids on our team. And I think it's for everyone to have the freedom to choose the locations and the times and the percentage of work that is optimal for their life right now based on anything else you might want to do in your life.
1: <laughs> Having, uh, you know, one to three small children at home, I know exactly what <laughs> <Yeah>. you're saying.
2: <laughs> so like Pierre Levier works, you know, maybe one to two days a week from home. And I work 80%. We also work out of different locations. We're really passionate about that because we want to enjoy our work. And we know that we don't, we can't go home at the end of the day exhausted and frustrated because of a toxic work environment or you've taken on way too much. There's just no room for that. Like, this has to be sustainable and it has to be enjoyable.
1: This has been very informative on a personal level because when I met your DG the first time I became instantly convinced that I would work for her one day. So this whole session is uh just solidifying my determination on this. <laughs> yeah. So
0: if you're listening. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, but it's been it's been really great to work in that environment and have this kind of approach to our work and we can see I mean we could track it, we can evaluate it, but just at a personal level I feel like it's been uh, fundamental to really make sure we hit our targets, and that we really, um, you know, maximize the way we work in a way, and especially in a, on a file like this where it's really self-directed. I mean, we get a, approval for things. Okay, let's run experimentation. Works, mm-hmm. but there's you know seventy-five. Micro tasks under there that you need to explore and figure out before you even get to that stage. So we need, we need to have a system in place to capture all of this and organize all of this. So it's been working great for us. And actually uh, Sarah is doing a lot of sometimes kind of a road show to explain these things and bring right. it to other teams and really, uh, yeah, she's, she, she's really passionate about these things and, and she got, she got me convinced as well.
1: Uh, so <laughs> I, I, so it's been
3: a successful experiment.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing ever since, um, Dan Dan Monifu and I started the team in 2017, I know I credit him for really bringing this, you know, fail Friday ritual to our team amongst many, many, many other things. But I think that's also a really important one because it ensures that pretty much every week we sit down as a team, we book a room so that we can just have that time kind of a closed-door session where you just spend 20, 30 minutes and everyone can go around and, you know, sometimes we just kind of all talk openly as things come up into our heads or each person kind of takes a turn. And, I mean, it's kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? It's the, it's the what's going well, what's not, and what do you maybe just have questions about. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about these things and, like, analyzing them from so many different perspectives. And I think one of the powerful things about these rituals is that, it ensures that they happen whether you kind of feel like doing it or not. Because often most people would probably be open to having, even most managers, right? They're like, that's a good idea, check in as a team. But it's probably not going to happen if you just don't build it in by default. It's about defaults too, right? So when you have it there by default, it kind of reminds everyone, like, oh yeah, like, what am I enjoying about work this week? And what am I not enjoying? And why? And then having that touch point every week as a team, hopefully you'll you'll surface things that if there are problems, hopefully you're starting to talk about them when they're just little problems as opposed to big problems. That's very
1: interesting. Um, <laughs> in a conversation I was having this week, someone told me that the measure of success that is something has is, uh, been a successful experiment or a successful innovation in government is that it's scalable. Hmm. Maybe that actually applies more to innovation, I think. Uh, than experimentation. Um, but what do you think about what is the measure of success? Like what does a successful experiment look like? We all know we can succeed even though we fail.
3: So I think ultimately, it's really about learning something from from what you've tried. I mean, if you find that, you know, program X didn't deliver on the targets, then you could frame that as a failure. And some people do sometimes even the media. But, I mean, if you learn that at a small scale it didn't work, maybe its best course of action is not to replicate or scale up, then you focus on something else and you move on. So you learn from that. If you find that your program is delivering as expected or even more, then you have you know evidence to, again, move forward with something and you have uh, confidence in what you're doing. So measure of success is being able to get to that stage of, of learning. So another kind of intermediate maybe indicator is making sure that the results get um, highlights um, from from senior management, I guess. So if you just have a report that's shared among colleagues, then sure, people can learn. But if there's no formal process to bring it to the attention of mm. people who are in a position to to make these decisions, then if you didn't get to that stage, then the experiment didn't deliver that much in the end. That's right. So when we talk about experimentation, is just... One specific approach that supports evidence based policymaking or evidence informed decision, um, policymaking. So we really want to see, you know, robust designs, robust measures. But at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, going back to that problem that you're trying to solve and informing decisions based on the evidence you generated. If you got, if you don't get to that stage, then it's a bit pointless, I think.
1: Thank you.
2: I think another another kind of indication of scale and success in experimentation is like building that culture of experimentation and, you know, the culture and the mindset that supports it, but also the the, the embedded skills and knowledge and know-how so that success would be you get to a place of some form of continuous experimentation. And It's pretty clear in our call for proposal process because we um, have options whether you just want to kind of come and observe and learn, kind of like auditing the course but not running a project, or you want to run a pre-experimental project because you're not ready to experiment. You need to gather a foundational understanding and knowledge of that intervention, or are you ready to experiment? So we see the whole range, right? So we see the departments that they know that where they're at in the stage on this particular topic is pre-experimental. They're like, we know we can't experiment yet. We know that we haven't yet figured out what would be the promising areas to test. We don't even even have not talked to our users. We've got to reach. So it's like they're pre-experimental and they know it. And then you get the groups that like, they think they're ready to experiment, but like, actually they don't have any data. They've never done this before. It's like, uh, I think you got to start over here, right? And then we've had the groups come in that, you know they can show us like everything they've done to date, and they're like, you know, we've already run experiments, or like we've done two to three years of exploratory research, talking to our users, and so they're like, we're ready, and we're like, yeah, we can see that. Like you've so it's, I think that scale and success is like building that foundation and 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 getting yourself in a position that allows you to to work in this way. Very very yeah. interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming Thank into.
0: Thanks. You've been listening to Innovate On Demand, brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Our music is by Grapes. I'm Todd Lyons, producer of this series. Thank you for listening.